Michelle made it. Uh, let's see here. Just, uh, just a reminder from last Sunday that we have three perspectives that we can see our problems from. Uh, we can see, see our problems from our own perspective, those of others, or from God's perspective. And, of course, Joseph saw from God's perspective, which is truly amazing what happened. So, all right, with that in mind, we're going to jump right in here, and uh, I'm excited about this one tonight. It is going to be so positive, and, and I'm ready for that. So here we go. Um, Lord, thank you so much for each person that's here. You are so kind. And ask your grace and favor on us all right now. We need you. Just It's unquestioned. We need you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, David is uh, uh, on and Jennifer out of Nashville. So grateful. Okay, so let's look at this. The, what we're going to focus on tonight are, it's going to be about promises and protection. Just how vulnerable are we to like an attack from Satan, you know? And by way of introduction, I want to ask these, these three questions again. Can a prayer of Jesus be unanswered? Is that possible? Could Jesus pray a prayer that God says, nope, nope? Okay, Jesus says no. Can he say no, or can he not? All the above. If Jesus prays a prayer and says, God, um, I've got my special servant down there in Little Rock. Her name is Sloan. And I really, really think the world of Sloan. And so, now this is Jesus, right? Jesus, would you, or God, would you please bless Sloan? And God says, no, no, you don't see it, Jesus. You missed it. She's not that nice. There's some issues that you're missing. So I'm not going to answer your prayer. Would God do that? Or would would God say, huh? What? Did you ask something? Is he ignoring Jesus? You know, that all sounds silly, right? Well, I think the question is, can Jesus pray a prayer? Exactly. Would he even do that? By the way, uh, if you go to philosophy class, one of the fun questions your professor might tease you with is, can God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? Oh, in your mind, just short circuits at that point. And, you know, that point, you're not even sure who you are. So welcome to philosophy. But uh, that's great, Jay. Just spin it around. Is Jesus so dumb he would ask something that God wouldn't answer? Second question, can a promise of Jesus to a Christian be ineffectual? For example, if he says in uh, uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 10, uh, essentially, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. So there's a bond between Jesus and a Christian. And Jesus says, that Christian can't be taken away or pulled out of my grip could be snatched out of my hand. And then he says, so, so you've got Chris Perry, who's Chris Perry is in the grip of Jesus, and Chris Perry can't be jerked out of Jesus' hand. And then it goes on that God has his hand around Jesus' hand. I and the Father are one. So there's your promise. Can that be ineffectual? Control. Yeah. So what if I'm kicking and screaming and so, I say, that, Jesus, I don't like you and I don't even believe in you anymore? Well, that's, no, you can't. But I also think that God wouldn't make a promise for Jesus that he knows would be ineffectual other than salvation. Because, okay. Okay. because he knows the believer 
is not of the mind or heart. Can still sin, you know, all that kind of so, stuff. So yeah, I, think, good. I don't know okay. if it's, it's, it's correct to separate salvation out from it, all the other things. That's, That's good. Awesome. That's good, Jay. I like that. Can the work of Christ be overcome by Satan? Madison says no. All right. What do you think, Tammy? What's that? It can be interfered with. It can be interfered with. Okay, yeah. There's still trouble. There's still trouble, yeah. All right, so so is it possible? The, the step forward I think we need to take is that can we as Christians, broken people, we battle depression, we battle anxiety, we battle whatever the issues are in our life. We're just tired. If nothing else, we're all just exhausted, okay? And we're trying to make it through the day. Does Jesus matter? Is, is the love real? Is the truth real? Are the promises real? And if so, can, can they benefit our lives? Or are we just kind of out there floundering? We're just kind of floating around and, you know, Satan's taking pot shots at us. and We're vulnerable little kids, you know. I remember when I was in, uh, when I was in um, El Salvador, we went into a particular, a particular place and it was one of the poorest places that, I, that I'd been to in El Salvador. And there's a little child, a little toddler, of course, naked, filthy. I mean, filthy. The flies, the whole thing. Can you see it? Sponsor the child. All that stuff sitting in the dirt that was filthy. Just sitting filthy. Now, you know, the child, quite frankly, looked happy. <laughs> it didn't know better. But I'm thinking in my mind, who would let a child sit in dirt that is absolutely loaded with goat and cow and human feces and waste and hit, let a kid just sit in it naked? Who would do that? Because you know kids, what do they do with about anything? That, yeah. Who would do that, you know? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in some scriptures. So here's the point. I'm trying to say, you know what? For all the mess about spiritual warfare and all the arrows flying and the damage and the weaponizing, all, of all the stuff that's evil, look at this good stuff. This is good stuff. Let's enjoy it. Let's get a big old injection of vitamin D3 and, and ah, feels good. All right, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open. That threefold promise. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, which one of you fathers, he's addressing males, fathers, will ask his son for a fish, and instead of a fish, he'll give him a snake? Or he will ask even for an egg, and his father will give him a scorpion. If you, being evil. Now, that's a tough, that's a tough thing. And that is poneros, which is the very word used to describe the work of Satan. Okay? So he's saying, we humans, who have the capacity to be fully corrupt people, <laughs> like really bad, poneros, evil. If we, even in our evil states, know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask him. That's Luke's gospel. Luke is the only one that says that. Luke says the Holy Spirit. So, 
Is that a promise? Would that make a difference in our lives? If we said, if we said, Abba, Father, I'm not asking for fish. I'm not asking for bread. I'm asking for something far more important. Would you please give me Holy Spirit? Would you please speak to my heart and, and change what's broken inside of me? You think God's going to say, on it, let's go. You bet. So that's, that's a promise that we can, we can actually lock on to. All right, look at this one here. Um, this is John 10, and we'd already alluded to it. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life. Uh, Jay, that's a promise. They'll never perish. That's a promise. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. How's that for secure attachment? Is that real? Okay. So what, in what way could we move that from the theoretical of John 10 to our world where there is a fight? There is evil in this world. What comfort could we derive from that? Michelle, what do you think? What comfort could we derive? Good, good. I like it. Anybody else? Why this this is important? Ed, what do you think? I think that one of the it's it's an interesting combination of um, <clears throat> of fear and that fear being laid on as a lie that. I'm all alone in this. I'm the only one who knows this, who's experienced this. I'm the only one who's sinned like this. <laughs> and and so this the promise of you are not alone. <laughs> um, contradicts that. Yeah, that's good. So we're not that little kid, abandoned, hungry filthy sitting in our own filth in some big dirt you know dirt pile yeah i like that beautiful how about this um john 17 15 there's a unique prayer that's given i'm not asking to take them out of the world christians but to keep them away from the evil one okay now jay john 17 is the only recorded uh, or, or the most significant recording of jesus praying to his father and we get it. It's like somehow John pulls back the veil and catches Jesus having a quiet time. Okay? And this is the stuff that he's asking. And the word keep uh, is an aorist active subjunctive, which means there is a, there's a kind of humility about this thing. And the idea is Jesus is literally trusting God to take care of us, which is beautiful. I'm asking you to keep them away from the evil one. Is that a prayer that God would not answer? Yeah, he, of course God's going to answer that. Therefore, what... 
how can we relax? Can we, can we relax a little bit? You know, that we're not... You know the whole voodoo doll thing? Did you ever see those cartoons or those silly sitcoms? And there's this doll, and they got pins, and some witch doctors, and Gilligan's Island would do that. You know, they'd stick it in the neck, and Gilligan would go, ow, you know, like, oh, my neck hurts, you know. Stick it in, oh, my back, you know. So I, I, I just don't see that Satan can do that to us. I don't see it at all. So to the whole thing of evil in the world, and Christians suffer... Clearly, a physical manifestation. Yes. So yeah. is that is the ultimate answer? To that is that back to I, he keeps us until that day. Thank you, Jay. I do think there's a timestamp on a lot of these that there's future. One day when heaven heaven comes in, you know, uh, Jesus prayed, "Your will be done on earth as as it is in heaven," and somehow that collapses in. Uh, it's going to be amazing, no more tears. But I don't believe that it, that God just cuts us loose and we drift down. I don't believe that at all. But Jay, you're on to it. There are people who are good Christians who live in Saudi Arabia who suffer, or Iran, or Eritrea, or North Korea, and they're not sinning. They're not asking for trouble, but they're in it, and that's because of the political culture that they're in. It's real. It's very, very real. Let's keep going. Um, John 17, there's a little bit more to that story. Um, again, it's a, I ask on their behalf. I just want you to get out of John 17 that Jesus is asking stuff from God that has to, everything to do with you and everything to do with me. All right? I'm asking that you keep them, protect them. Um, it's important, yeah. Let's keep going. Look at this one, 2021. I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but also those who will believe in me through their word. That's me and you. That's second, third, fourth generation Christians. That they may all be one, just as you are. Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. That the world may believe you sent me. Asking, again, present active indicative. These are very serious prayers, you know, that he's asking here. So, all right, look at this one, 25, 26. It's beautiful. Righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known you that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Think about that. I'm asking these things so that the love that God the Father has for the Son would be made real in Chris Perry's heart, in your heart. By the way, these are plural pronouns. So the love of God that is real in Jesus' heart would be in all our hearts, is the idea, okay? Jesus is committed to making that known. Really good, so... Um, how about this? Uh, is it important for us to settle up on the love of God? What do you think? What? Should we settle up on the love of God? Settle up. Settle up on it and figure it out. What do you think? <laughs> you know? What, what kind of faith are you going to have if, on, if in today's mood of the day, you're like, oh, I'm just a dirty no-count. God doesn't love me. 
And the next day, well, I guess he puts up with me. And the next mood of the day is, oh, my goodness, he just really loves me and has a plan for my life. And the next day, oh, he don't love me. And it's this, this pendulous back and forth. You haven't settled up on the love of God that's unfailing. That's, that, you think that's a stable faith? It didn't sound like it, you know. Chris, yeah, I see it as I see it in this way, the same way as you shown earlier, <clears throat> that we are to look at God with a childlike faith. And when you were right. a child, you looked up to your parents. You looked up to your parents to protect you, to clothe you, to feed you, and you you didn't have this. If you have good parents, you didn't have that back and forth. You might disagree with them, but you if something happened, what did you do? You would always go back to your parents. You would mm-hmm. ask them to uh, protect you or help or, uh, you know, I'm hurting. <clears throat> they would help you. And that's why God kept saying that we are to have a childlike faith mm-hmm. to him. Yes, yes. Very good. Very good. Let's look at this one, Romans 16. Lisa, you and I chatted about this. This is good. Uh, for the report of your obedience is reached everywhere to everyone. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. Paul's saying, I'm really proud of you Roman Christians, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent what is evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. How's that for a dramatic promise? And that's a future active indicative verb, Joe, to crush. Soon tribo, to crush Satan under your, and that's poor, under all y'all's feet. Wow. What's the big deal there? What difference could that make in our lives? The God of peace is asking us to do an act of violence. <laughs> There's some irony there. Right, yeah. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Who's doing the crushing? It's these peace and Satan is Exactly. Exactly. Who's who's crushing Satan? Is it Christian? Hmm. The God of peace is not us. We're not the one that's going to throw the punch. We're not. Gonna, we're not the ones that dig dig the heel in. This is God's job, and He's the God of peace. So David, you're right, and others. Uh, he's a good father. All right. How about this one? It also comes with that armor of God, doesn't it? Um. Sandals with uh, sod, or have the sandals. Oh, the gospel of yeah, yeah shod with the gospel yeah. of peace. Very good, David. Yep, very good. Yeah, um, Ephesians one. Look what Paul. Paul is praying this. He said, "This is my prayer for you, that your eyes, the eyes of your heart, would be enlightened, so that you would know what the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in his saints." This is typical Paul, big power language, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. Wow, does it sound like we have uh, a vast uh, resource of uh, spiritual energy, <laughs> power and authority to face the day? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if I hold to this promise, I'm not going to have this tuck tail faith. And I just like, well, I hope I make it through the day. You know, the Eeyore kind of approach to life. No, I'm going to be, wow, the power of God is real in my life. He will not leave me or forsake me. And if there's a temptation, he's not going to put me in a situation that I can't handle it. His Holy Spirit's going to be there to guide me through it. So, yeah, we can have some pretty exciting 
uh, exciting faith then. And I love this. Um, Ephesians 2, he says, you're seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, is that theology? Is that theological? Or is it, is it practical? Well, we're here on earth. So there's got to be a theological idea behind it. It's not practical, at least not yet. What do you make of that? That he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. What do you make of that? He's made a space for us. He's made room for us. Okay. We are heirs with Christ, so okay. he's got a space for us. Yeah. Yeah, that is so good. That is so good, Lisa. Somebody else? What do you make of this? Is there an element of the sort of the idea of the ambassador thing that whereas we are ambassadors for Christ here that our advocate so in that Certainly. sense our homeland we're represented there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so good. Yeah. Anybody else? That's really curious. Seated us with him in heavenly places. Yeah. Absolutely. Boy, you just quoted John 15, quoted John 17. That's so good, Madison. So how about this? Um, there's a concept in ancient Jewish, an ancient Jewish world, both Hebrew, both Roman and Greek, that your, your doorstep, the threshold of your home, is a clear marker that sets up in, insiders and outsiders the actual door of your house, right? And it's called liminality, if you want a fancy word to add to that. Your doorstep, your threshold, sets a boundary for those on the inside and those on the outside, all right? And to say that you've been given, Lisa, a seat at the table, it means you've been allowed to cross over the threshold. It means you're accepted. It means you're an insider in the family. You're literally sitting at the table which is a sign of status, a sign of acceptance, a sign of provision, all kinds of things. And uh, this is the language. What's that? Psalm 23. Absolutely. Very, very comforting. Absolutely. So, so theologians come up with an idea to communicate this. It's called already, not yet. Okay, Amy, you're, you're nodding. Bruce, you're nodding. So is I'm Chris... Scratching. Oh, you're, scr- you're, you're scratching, you're scratching. Okay. So I was like, hmm, good point, Chris. Mm. Um, am I in the heavenly places right now, seated at the table? Not yet. <laughs> not yet. But he says I am. <laughs> not yet. Already, not yet. But am I accepted? So there's the already. I'm accepted. I'm loved. I'm in. I'm saved. Uh, he's inside of me. All yeah, it's already. But there's a not yet part two. You know, it, it's both, and that is so many of the Christian promises that we have. So, okay, just a few more. Uh, I love this. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, future active indicative Sloan in the future. It's going to happen. You may have a really bad day, <laughs> but it will happen. You will be guarded. Um, I love that. What is significant about hearts and minds? He's going to guard the heart and the mind. 
What do you think? Jennifer, what do you think? That the specific thing he guards is heart and mind. Well, I guess that's what matters most. Okay. Versus body. Okay. Yeah. How about this? The mind is always associated with wisdom and thought and logic. The heart is always associated with emotion. Okay. And a lot, and a lot of times you can have emotion override logic or logic be cold to emotion. Yeah. He wants it to guard both because Satan can attack either way. Yes, that's good. That's good. Can we all agree that it has a lot to do with truth? Right? It has a lot to do with truth. Yes, and it's a seat of affection, the seat of devotion. Yeah. 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 Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. Yeah, really a big deal. Yeah. Second uh, Thess 3.3, 3, uh, the Lord is faithful. He'll strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Wow. Yeah. So he's not leaving... The kid out in there in the open area for human traffickers, you know, in the filth uh, and unattended to with flies all over their face. That's not the kind of God that he is. He's going to actually protect you, strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Yeah, And those are future act indicative verbs. So, yeah, man, breathe easy. (laughs) You know, he's a good guy. Yeah. First John two, and this is it's gonna we're gonna get right to a very very critical issue here in a second. Um, I'm writing to you, little kids, because your sins have been forgiven you, on account of His name, not because we're we're good. And I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him. He's been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Yeah, you've overcome. In fact, it says it twice. In the last verse, you've overcome the evil one. So we're forgiven. Perfect passive. God does the forgiving. We don't do it. um, We we have overcome Satan. Nikao. We're we're Nikon. We conquer. All right? It's really cool. Perfect active indicative verb in Greek. Yeah, we can. Does it sound like we can win? Is that what the language is? Victor language? You bet. As opposed to, oh no, I'm going to get kicked in the teeth by Satan today. It's going to be a bad day. And, and, we're, and we're just tucking tail and we know the beating is coming. No, this, this language would argue against that. Uh, 3.9, again, very similar language. And this is where I want to push you a bit here, okay? Verse 8, uh, well, let's do verse 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices... Righteousness is righteous, just as God is righteous. Right? The one who practices sin is of the devil. A little hard to understand, we'll work through that. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning, and the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. Now, don't get... I don't want anybody to go sideways here. John is not talking about the only way to prove you're you're a Christian is to literally never sin. Uh, That's not what it means. In fact, 
The New American Standard Text does us a favor and translates that right there continually. We're talking about habitual rebellion against God. That's what we're talking about. All right, so set that aside. We settled it. Let's set it aside. How about this one? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. How destroyed are they? Totally. Totally. Jay says no. Maddie says yes. We have a split in the church right now. Two denominations (laughs) just formed. (laughs) What do you think? Just how destroyed are the works? Okay, good. Good, I like that. Yeah. Is it different to destroy works but not destroy the person? In other words, is Satan alive and well? Yeah. He's destroying his works, not the person of Satan. So as, as Jay said earlier, Satan's still causing trouble on earth, right? I was going to say, it doesn't seem like sometimes Yeah, so there you go. Um, I mean, I know in the end they will be destroyed. I I know eternally they will be destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is his playground. Seems it absolutely. Welcome to Rome. (laughs) Yeah. So, so how about this? Can we appreciate in this whole idea of spiritual warfare that God is not lazy and Jesus is not lazy? And Satan is actually, or or, or rather Jesus is, out to destroy the works of Satan. That's comforting to me. That's comforting. Dad's home, and he's going to protect me. Just a couple more. Um, We know that no one who's been born of God sends that same idea of habituation. But he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not even touch him. I love that. And we know that we're of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So, Jay, there's apparent contradiction. (gasps) How can the whole world lie in the power of the evil one when Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil? Mm. Jay, would you please explain that to us? Uh, (laughs) It's above your pay grade. It's the same thing. We know the ultimate victory. Right, right. Yeah. I've often thought of Satan kind of like maybe Gaddafi or Saddam Hussein. <clears throat> yeah, I wonder why Satan knows how it ends. So why does he keep? I think Satan has just created enough that he has the, the arrogance, the hubris to Hubris. think he really is going to overcome. It's like. Yeah. So Gaddafi and Hussein's hiding in a, yeah. a ditch in the desert. And, and until they actually caught him, he still thought somehow he's going to prevail. I think that's how Satan did it. Somehow, he really, because he thought he could change it in the beginning, mm-hmm. he still thinks he's going to he change, change it. He can change it, yeah. So the deceiver is deceived, yeah, at that point, yeah. Also, also on that same footing, uh, he could also know that he's not going to win, but he hates God's creation so much. Yes. He wants to bring as many with him to suffer eternally as yeah, possible. Yeah, that's good, David. Yeah, yeah. So there's tension. Or someone's going to say, Andrew? I, I just think our scientific mindset, we gear ourselves to think that we're going to win. The littlest thing we can bring 
in his time. And you know, if we just do things that way, then man, when Jesus is on the cross and we get the little snapshot of him say, I mean, it's quoting the Psalms, but uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's just proof right there, right? That God is bad. <laughs> yeah, like if you take that snapshot. But okay. I mean, if we've learned anything from walking through this story of Joseph that, that we've been going through for a month or more, God that watches over a lot of time and he's working on a lot of people all at the same time. And he, mm-hmm. he can get us to move in a direction but sometimes it just it takes oh, quite a while for us to get to the place to say well you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So tension forms, Andrea, and remember that really cool word you use, a dialectic? that two things appear to be in opposition are actually true at the same time. And you see that, but you only see that over, over time. The, the time when you were pretty sure God had been you, you just needed another 10 years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's good. You needed a heart, and, and honestly, you needed the time, but more important than that, you needed a heart change. Yes, yeah. And I really, I'm old enough, you remember that sort of poem, it's been in <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's good. So we have two things in tension. Jesus came to destroy the works. It says works. It doesn't say Satan. The works of Satan. So evidently Satan's still alive and well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you how alive and well he is. The whole world lies in his power. Fight is on. Game on. Right? Okay. Good. All right. Um, so let's, let's, let's wrap it up. What do you think? Can a prayer of Jesus be unanswered? I have two questions. Yes, sir. Did Joseph uh, come to the point of knowing that what his brothers intended for evil, did he come to that point before they showed up? You know, uh, man, I wish I could tell you. I don't know. I don't know. What, man, that's a really, really insightful question. And my second question goes back to the first verse. One and done, yeah. Uh, that's what I hold to. Yeah. I do not hold to a lot of the charismatic traditions that you get some of the spirit and then you get a little more and, and it leads to this, you know, little dramatic charismatic things. I don't see that at all. Um so Jay, when did Joseph see the? Uh, when did he see the big picture? You know, um, I don't know. When did he see it? Well, Late. We can apply it in our life. We can say, okay, we know this intended evil because we know how it worked in Joseph's life. Right, and right. We right. often say about the Old Testament guys, they didn't know. They didn't know. Turned out how it worked. Yeah, we have an we have a vantage point they didn't have. Is it early, like when he was 17 and he's on those camels or whatever it was and he's getting that, he's getting literally trafficked to Egypt. Was he going in his own mind, it's okay, God's got me. It's okay, God's got me. It's all good. God's, you know, he says what Collins, it's all good. It's all good, you know. It's all going to work out. Did that 17-year-old get that? Yeah. You think? I want it to be. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes, God was already talking to him. I mean, he already... Reveal dreams. See, there you go. Bow down to him. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe it, it, wouldn't it be awesome? That'd be great. Or did it come late? And Andrew, he's a worn out, broken man. And he's covered in elaborate makeup, which high status Egyptians would wear. And then all of a sudden these poor Palestinians come from Canaan. And he is gut punched because he knows who they are. And then it's a little cat and mouse. And then finally, the cork comes out of the bottle and he explodes in an emotional outburst, balls and says, I'm your brother, and weeps on their neck and kisses all of them. And oh my goodness, the brokenness. And that's when he goes, God was in this the whole time. I don't know. Maybe in the middle, all the above. You know, it's early, really, mid, late. I don't know. It's hard to say, but it's really no different than us. Because yeah. we know the end of the story. We know how it ends. But we're still broken. I mean, we're still hurting. But he's in the dungeon, in prison. He's having to run from Potiphar's wife. We're, we've got our own problems and trials and temptations yeah. and yeah. hardships and yeah. everything, too. We know the story, but it's yeah. still hard. And we can, so are you saying that we can be born again, baptized, followers of Jesus, and still be messed up people? (laughs) Broken. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We are not perfect. Not yet. That's that race that we are running. It's the race that we run. Now, that's not a license to throw discretion to the wind either. Well, God's going to work it out in the end, so let's go, let's go to... You know, get drunk on Jack Daniels and shoot pool or whatever it is, bowl or something, whatever. <laughs> I know. I need to change the metaphor. I know. I know. All y'all so sensitive. So moody. What are y'all moody? <laughs> so. That's just the only one you've ever heard of. Evidently. I need to go back to the website, preacher.com, and say, what should you say at the end of the sermon? I'm just kidding. I don't. But by the way, there is that website. It does exist. I'm not kidding. We'll pray for you, Chris. Death before dishonor. I will never go there. Never. Oh. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, so, I mean, so are you saying that uh, a good part of spiritual warfare is choosing to see things how God sees them? Yes. So, like, we see ourselves through his eyes and accept that as true instead of our own weakness or what the devil's telling us, and we choose to see others through his eyes, who he created them to be, um, redemption or deception, what's going on, mm-hmm. um, things that happen in the world, see it through his eyes. And so that, um, you know, this little, little kid you're talking about in El Salvador sitting in filth, I mean, that's all I would see, but maybe God is doing something in this kid's heart, and that's the reality is who this kid's going to be. He's going to have a seat. Like he right now has a seat at the table. Wow. And that's the reality instead of, you know, what we might see. And it's hard to hold to that. That's why I'm thinking the warfare thing makes sense. It's so hard to believe what the Lord says sometimes. Yeah. But but believing and acting on it. Yeah. Is that kind of, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, Jennifer. And that is the whole idea of faith. Everybody look at this uh, seven to to nine here. I think it's interesting that seven and nine talk about deception and habitual sin, right? Um, uh, He who practices sin is of the devil. 
right? And you get it again in verse 9. Uh, if you practice sin, you're of the devil, okay? It's in the middle of that that it says Satan, or, or that Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. You ready? Here's how I see it, Jay. When Christians get involved in sin, we only kick in and fire up the works of Satan. We do a lot of damage. When Christians sin, pastors, preachers, evangelists, the big names that everybody knows about, the no names that nobody knows about, when Christians, when Christians really stumble and get involved in evil, I think it activates the works of Satan, and I think Satan wins, and it's terrible. Consequences. Con- it's awful, awful, awful. But even still, even in those moments, uh, whether it's church staff, deacon, it doesn't matter, whoever it is, Christian, Jesus is still there to take those wrongs and make them right. And even for a broken pastor, a broken evangelist, who a deacon, it doesn't matter, a Christian, that he's there to forgive, restore, and heal. He is a God who heals. We have hope. And I think Satan wants to take it away from us. But God wants to give hope. Okay? So I think it's really important that we see Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan, but uh, non-believers and Christians who get involved in evil just bring up the mess of Satan and the whole world lies in his, in his hands, in his power. So, okay. Anybody else before we take the Lord's Supper? Thank you, Sloan. Let me teach you just a little bit about the Lord's Supper. Uh, based on the prompting of Sloan and a few others, uh, I have decided to jump in and write a third uh, critical research paper on the Lord's Supper, what it is, what does it mean, all those things. And hopefully it'll be coming out in the next few months and we'll get it, we'll get it available to you. Something that I want you to appreciate is that certainly the, the Last Supper, which is what Jesus led, has a lot to do with the Passover. That's undeniable. Okay, there are Passover themes, absolutely. But when Paul gets a hold of it in 1 Corinthians 11... There isn't a Passover theme. There's not. Okay? And when he says that he received from the Lord and he passes it on, uh, scholars are going to date this uh, in the 50s. Okay? Where the Gospels are written later than that. So when you read this, you're actually reading one of the very earliest traditions. Okay? That predate the Gospels. Even though on the timeline, the Gospels come first, right? And this comes after. But theologically, this is the earliest treatment we have of the Lord's Supper. Okay? That's number one. Number two, the, what's interesting is the bread. Uh, he, he, he took the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is, he gives thanks, this is my body, I want you to eat it. And then it's almost as though it's an instantaneous thing in the same way he takes the cup, says, this is the new covenant in my blood, drink it. Okay, what's interesting is that's not how, even though that's what it says, that's not how it was practiced at at the actual table. Here's how it would work. It would be something like this. Uh, We're all going to go to the Trice's house, okay? 
And Janice has got the table set, and Bruce makes sure there's a really, really big, uh, big vat thing of wine. So we've got lots of wine, and, and because they're really high-status people, there's going to be meat. I mean, I'm not kidding. There's meat. Woohoo! This is a big deal, right? And, and we've got wealthy people, and we've got mid-level people on this town. We've got very poor people. And the meal starts... And there's some wine, and there's the food, and the food gets served. And because the Trices own the home, and they're allowing us to cross into the threshold, they're an authority. It's their home. And, and they can play favorites, and they can take uh, the best portions of meat and the abundance of wine and give it to the favorites in the group and let them sit on the special couch and really you know, give them the good stuff. And then as the meal continues, right, and the poor folk who've been working late come late, guess what? There's a few scraps of meat left and some little fat, gristly stuff on the side dish, and uh, there's not a whole lot of wine left, you know. There's some bread, though. There's some bread and some salt and maybe some table marmalades to dip the bread in. That's about it. They've all eaten a lot of it up. Okay. Paul would say, whoa, we got a problem. We got some drunk people at the Lord's Supper. They've had so much wine, they're drunk. Paul changes it up and he says, look, we're going to take that bread and cup thing and we're going to spread it out so that we're having the meal and the host will interrupt and say, everyone, get your wine glass. Everyone get your bread. And Bruce would lead it and, and he would have a whole loaf ready and he would break it symbolically. And he would say, this is my body, which is broken for you, take and eat. And he would pass that loaf around and, and they tear off some and you tear off some and everybody's tearing off a little piece. One loaf, lots of little pieces. And we continue the meal. And we talk and we eat. And then toward the end, Bruce says, everyone take your wine glass. Make sure everybody served more wine if they need it. And then he leads us in the element of the wine and what that means. By breaking it apart, giving people time to come even late, he, Paul is trying to create unity. I don't know that I explained it well, but the actually separating those two things to out is a way of creating unity in, in the Lord's Supper because there was so much division. That's what's going on. Um, so anyway, there'll be more coming, and it'll be, uh, I, I think it's going to be helpful for you. So, all right, uh, let me read this, and we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper. I think Lisa, bless her heart, she'll be okay. She'll be good. All right. Uh, I receive from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and with given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Wow. Abba, Father, thank you that your son died for us and the love that goes beyond anything we could imagine. Thank you for these things. Pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Mm.
How many seconds did it take us to take the Lord's Supper? 10? 10 seconds? 20 seconds? Can you imagine integrating that with a meal? That's what they did. That's what they did. Very different approach to what we do. So, um, all right. Anybody something to pray about? What's going on? Belinda's had um, uh, lost a dear colleague, a dear colleague at work to COVID. Um, the funeral was recent, and then someone else passed away that you got, that you knew. Just had a funeral, so lots of heartache. Chelsea's doing better, uh, which is great. Great, Chelsea. Anybody else something to pray about? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, yes. 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 So uh, there are several marriages uh, and like three right now that are teetering. They're teetering. They're not doing well. Um, pray. Pray for those marriages that God will heal. And. Uh, During the day, boy, if I, if I come across your mind, please pray for the people that are at the clinic. Please. It's amazing what's happening. So that's awfully kind of you. So, Ed, can you close this in prayer, please? Sure. Yep. Almighty God, thank you so much for that for blessed assurance that we are yours. We are in your hands. That you do protect us. That you have sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. Um, that you love us. And that goes further than anything we can imagine. Thank you for that. all the folks who are, who are <coughs> experiencing illness, um, healing, uh, that those who are in, seen in dire straits now will take that turn for the better very soon. That those who are healing, that their healing will be complete and quick. Thank you for that. Um, that's so top of mind for all of us right now. Um, <coughs> Praise you and thank you that you are, that you do come in the midst, that you are in the midst of each life, the many billions of us on this planet. Thank you for that. It's beyond imagine. Praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Ed.